0: Welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It's episode 199. I'm your co-host Mike Parsons and as always I'm joined by Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning Mark.
1: Good morning Mike. We have such an exciting individual to jump into as episode 199 don't we today?
0: We do indeed. He may uh, stem, d- do I remember it right, from the 1600s, Mark? Uh, nearly. He was certainly in the 18th century. There we which
1: go. Is which is the 1700s, so you weren't far off. But okay. needless to say, it was quite a few years, decades, hundreds of years ago. We're digging into Sir Isaac Newton today, a man who's pretty prolific and unarguably one of the greatest scientists, physicists, astrologists, uh, of of any time, Mike, in fact. And the teachings that he has within the science realm have uh, informed a lot of the direction that we go on throughout all of our scientific understandings. But there's quite a lot you and I and our listeners can learn about Sir Isaac Newton with a moonshots lens as well.
0: Yeah, even if you're not a scientist, there's so much to learn from how he did it. So the work was... Uh, instrumental in shaping how we think about science and physics. His uh, productivity rate was ridiculous. He was off the charts when it comes to producing his work. I think there is so much to learn from this man. There is so much to learn that fits nicely
1: into the realm of individuals and moonshot legends that you and I, our listeners and members, dive into each week, isn't there, Mike? I think we've got a real chance to learn from not only a heavyweight within the scientific realm, but also the realm of productivity, uh, focus, as well as just doing the hard work.
0: Well, let's try thinking differently because he thought differently about a lot of profound, profound things like, i.e., he invented calculus. This <laughs> is off the charts and he did it in his 20s. It's it's crazy. There's so much to learn from someone like Sir Isaac Newton. It is just such a treat to study him, much in the same way that we recently did Einstein. There's just so much in not only what, Isaac Newton Mm. thought, but how he did it, how he made all of these breakthroughs,
2: right?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly the lens that we should look at. We're digging out our scientific uh, instruments, Mike. We've got our microscopes, magnifying glasses, but the lens that we're going to look through today is exactly that. It's the how. It's the how of an individual who has such a plethora of impressive uh, successes, how he was able to get out and do that work. And that's really the lesson that we we can glean from these individuals like Einstein, as well as Isaac Newton, isn't it? Even though you and I, we might not be creating our own <laughs> form of calculus. We may not be looking up into the stars and identifying new constellations or creating the laws of motion like Isaac Newton did. But we can certainly learn a lot when it comes to how he went out and did that hard work and got the uh, got the successes
0: uh, yeah, successes I mean basically shaped the way people live um, you know for centuries since mm. so mark now that we have built up the what and the how of Sir Isaac Newton. Where should we kick off this adventure?
1: Well, I think if we haven't made the case as to why Sir Isaac Newton is an individual that belongs within our Moonshot library, we're going to hear initially from Neil deGrasse Tyson, a very well-known astrophysicist, author, and scientific communicator. He's going to tell us why Sir Isaac Newton is his man.
3: Isaac Newton. I mean, just look at, you read his writings. My hair stands up on, I don't have hair there, but if I did, it would stand up on the back of my neck. You read his writing. The man was connected to the universe in ways that I've never seen another human being connected. It's kind of spooky, actually. Uh, he discovers the laws of optics, figures out that white light is composed of colors. That's kind of freaky right there. You take your colors of the rainbow, put them back together, you have white light again. That freaked out the artists of the day. <laughs> How does that work? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet gives you white. Uh, the laws of optics, he discovers the laws of motion and the universal law of gravitation. Then a friend of his says, well, why do these orbits of the planets, why are they in the shape of an ellipse, sort of flattened circle? Why aren't they some other shape? And he said, you know, I can't, I don't know. I'll get back to you. So he goes, goes home, comes back a couple months later. Here, Here's why. They're actually conic sections, sections of a cone that you cut. And they said, well, how did you find this out? How did you determine this? Well, I had to invent integral and differential calculus to determine this. Then he turned 26. Then he turned 26. We've got people slogging through calculus in college just to learn what it is that Isaac Newton Invented on a dare, practically. So that that's my man, Isaac.
0: My man, Isaac Newton. <laughs> well, listen, I think uh, what we just heard there is to think about what Newton created before the age of 26 and how many of us struggle into our 36, 46 is just <laughs> to even understand <laughs> what yeah. he created I mean, that really sets the tone for what's to come, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly.
1: We are going into the realm of some of the greatest mind that there ever has been by the age of 26, the optics, motion, gravity, the understanding of the planets. This is pretty mind-altering stuff, Mike. But the thing that's already standing out to me that we heard from Neil deGrasse Tyson as he's reliving the successes and the accomplishments of, of Newton is the fact that he just went away. He gave it some time. He needed to create a brand new way of thinking in order to answer a question. And I think that's a little bit of a tease as to what we're going to start to learn about Isaac today, isn't it? Mm. Which is if you have a problem good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, getting get a little bit, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm starting to get a, even a vibe of some of our other moonshotters already, which is to, uh, encourage us when we're stuck in a, in a problem, uh, such as whether it's a physical one or a mental one, why are the planets going around in a certain way to go out and find the answer or create a way to give that answer is, is what we're all trying to do, isn't it? Whether it's, the rotations of planets or not. I think that's just a really great demonstration in coming at things with the hard work that it sometimes takes to deliver results.
0: Yeah. And whether it's Einstein who said, oh, I just worked on one problem for harder and longer than anybody else. What you can start to see is there's a little bit of a pattern here, right? That these people such as Einstein and Newton, who've made enormous breakthroughs, like huge paradigm shift, often are very clearly able to attribute that success, those breakthroughs, to hard work, Mm. to focus, lack of distraction. And just think about how much we (laughs) desire the chance for deep work for removal of notifications in incoming bombardments and we just want to apply our mind. It really is quite exciting to think, well, if we can work deeply and with focus like them, who knows what each and every one of us could do. And I think the answer to that question is one of the things you could do is become a member of the (laughs) Moonshots podcast. I mean, unlock that potential, Mike, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think
1: individuals who in three or 400 years' time will be revered and discussed just as much as Sir Isaac Newton are our Patreon members, Mike. So as tradition dictates, living now in the realms of Sir Isaac Newton and Einstein are our members. So drum roll please. Dan, 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 dan. Please welcome Bob, Niles, John, Terry, Niall, Marjolin, Ken and Dietmar. Marjan, Connor, Rodrigo and Yasmin, Lisa, Sid, Maria and Paul, Berg, Kalman, David and Joe, Crystal, Ivo, Christian, Hurricane Brain and Samuela. Kelly, Barbara, Bob and Andre, Matthew, Eric, Abby and Hossie, Joshua, Chris, Kobe and Damien, Deborah, Gavin, Lasse and Steve, Craig, Lauren, Javier and Daniel, Andrew, Ravi, Evert and Karen. Welcome again, members. Thank you for joining the Moonshots family and helping us keep the lights on.
0: Absolutely. The lights are on and shining, and we are going to shine them now onto the uh, Principa Mathematica, perhaps Newton's single greatest contribution. But we're going to learn the habits, the rituals behind what it took to produce something so profound. So let's have a listen to now uh, a spread of different modern professors actually commenting on Principia. Gee, this is a real mouthful, (laughs) this Principia thing, Mathematica. And let's see what we can unlock about the
2: greatest work of Sir Isaac Newton. Over a decade later, Newton's secret work in alchemy is put on hold when the famous scientist Edmund Halley reignites Newton's interest in mainstream science. Halley had been in the coffee shops, talking about a theory on gravity and the orbit of planets. Robert Hooke claimed he had already proved this theory, but after months of waiting to see it, Halley was still empty-handed. So, he turned to Newton instead. Edmund Halley comes to visit him and asks him if he can prove that there's a relationship between the
1: known elliptical orbits of planets and an inverse square law, and Newton says he can. Uh, and he says he has a proof so uh, according to one story he rustles around his papers for a bit and comes back and says I'm sorry I can't find it but three months later Halley at the Royal Society receives this extraordinary text uh, which is only about 11 pages long but in that two or three month period Newton had drawn up the the basics if you like of, of modern physics in 10 or 11 pages
2: Charlie encourages Newton to release these pages officially, to turn them into a book, to show the world what he has done. His flattery results in Newton publishing this theory of gravitation, as well as other laws describing how the world works, in his greatest scientific manuscript, Principia Mathematica, in 1687. Principia is just a book, but what a book. Uh, E.T. is one of the great books. It's
1: one of the finest scientific works ever published. And it's one of the most culturally important books ever to hit a printing press. Ultimately, I think people rightly look back to Newton's Principia Mathematica as the foundation of modern science. The foundation of modern science, Mike. I mean, we're really in that realm of the one of the greatest thinkers of all time, aren't we? And this is a book that was published in the 17th century.
0: Crazy, crazy. And did you hear that he's hanging out with Halley, who you may know from Halley's Comet, and, uh, you know, they're they're discussing some serious physics and gravity and science. And, you know, um, what was interesting is Newton didn't have the answer, but he said, you know what, let me come back to you. So in three months time, he comes back with 11 pages, which happen to form the underlying principles of modern science. How about <laughs> that for some productivity, Mark? <laughs> I think for me, the, the, the biggest
1: takeaway I'm getting from this uh, introduction to the Principia Mathematica is Newton's mindset. It's a, a pretty intimidating question, you know, Mike, if I turn to you and said, hey, Mike, um, do you have any idea why the planets do this? Can you go and tell me? And instead of you turning around and and saying, I I can't do it. Or
0: or I would just guess, right? Or you'd just guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whereas what Newton does, he is not refusing the opportunity to have a go to try and answer one of the biggest questions that there was, totally unanswered at the time. He goes away and diligently works hard. He obviously has a foundation by this point in his life of uh, studying. He'll probably have an, an awareness, but the biggest thing for me is this original thought, this original thinking that he was able to, to create, you know, it really reminds me of, of Adam Grant and the work that he has around mm. creativity and original thinkers. Instead of being maybe forced into a realm of you know, republishing or reworking other people's work and just having a guess, like you say, he's able to go away for a, a period of time and then come back with not only the answer, but also a essentially a language calculus in order to uh, help others understand it too. Mm. I mean, this is not only a level in uh, application of mo- putting your mind towards difficult questions, but it's also just creating from, from scratch, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And you know, when we talk about manuscript in today's language, we might talk about notes. We might talk about sketching an outline, uh, you know, drafting sort of a few bullet points. But I think what we're seeing is that Newton was prepared to take a question and to go away and really work on it. Mm. Um, not guess or not say, oh geez, I don't know, but break it down and do the work. And I think that one of the things we can all take from this is when we face big, exciting, yet somewhat challenging questions, start get out the notebook, start get out the the notes app on your phone, start writing it down, create a body of work that you can continually and I, I think daily come back to. If it's, if it's a big enough problem, it deserves your daily attention. And, you know, we'll talk about how um, Newton worked on a day-to-day basis. We'll, we'll talk about his habits and so forth. But right now, to me, the, the power of what we're getting into is to write it down Mm. and work upon it. Um, It's very nice to entertain ideas in your mind, but if you want to really crack a big problem, you got to write it down. You've got to have the manuscript as Newton would call it. You've got to have the Google doc as we, we might call it now. You must share it. And what's really interesting is to see his interaction with Hallie here. They're talking, they're sharing and discussing. And that's another big moonshots thing. Share your ideas, collaborate on your ideas, write it down. It's, you know, it's nice to talk with someone about it, but, you know, you and I both know, Mark, that once you say, okay, let's dive into the document. Once those words are said, that's when everybody's digging in, refining, editing, improving, brainstorming. Mm. And I think that in our rush, we can sometimes chat about ideas. And I think you, you stay only on the surface level and you leave yourself exposed to missing things if you don't write stuff down. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I think the biggest piece uh, to go back to
1: the uh, idea where you were first discussing around the applying yourself, writing it down, even before you get to the collaboration piece, is the benefit of that compound interest. So if you and I... we're in this position for Isaac Newton trying to answer some of the biggest questions. Or if you and I were collaborating on a project, Mm. maybe we've got a week, maybe we've got a month. Something that we've talked about on the show before is just getting it started, isn't it? It's putting it down, like you say, in a Google sheet or a document and just building out maybe a bit of a skeleton or a table of contents or just the, the foundations that you might start to think about. And gradually, for me at least, the benefit that I have given time is the ability to sleep on it, to Mm. let the ideas sort of percolate in the back of my mind. And if I can write it down, if I can document it and keep track of even just the small builds that I have on an idea, or maybe it's an approach, maybe it's something physical, then it's going to be Better over time because it's had that compound interest where it's getting a little bit better every day. It's similar to James Clear and what we know about the habits. I think if you can create a habit, probably like Isaac Newton had, where he was revisiting it certain times of day and uh, repeatedly uh, being in that realm of, of thinking about it, it does get better, doesn't it? Then when you interject a colleague or a mentor, to then work on it with you and to give you feedback, to give you a little bit of guidance, suddenly that compound interest is is even more substantial because you're getting that creative feedback and reviewing loop so that it does get better. But I, I think it all starts with just that daily almost practice of putting something down on paper and letting it build in your mind until, it, until you
0: find the answer. And I think... The pressure to transition from what's in your mind to getting it out on a piece of paper, or let's say writing a blog post or making a video or a podcast. When you have to make that transition, what I notice is it helps your thinking get better because once you're like, okay, how do I explain this to people who are not in my brain, Mm. (laughs) right? So I have to set some context and make some arguments and explain some forces at play here. Therefore, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. I think that actually makes the idea better. The pressure or the, just the practice of transitioning from your own mind and your own inner dialogue to having a dialogue with others actually makes the original thought better, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. You've got to be considerate of your audience. And again, mm. I think this is speaking to the, uh, let's call it the production of what we were just hearing with Principia Mathematica, was. In order to in order for Newton to communicate the ideas or the thoughts that he had discovered, he had to create essentially a language to communicate it that, that the calculus piece and again that's just a great demonstration of the way that he was approaching the delivery of this work because let's face it we 're not all Isaac Newton mm. and I could come to you, Mike, and say, hey, look, I've cracked the best moonshot show ever, but then I wouldn't be able to communicate it to you. Well, what what worth is that? And you've got to be conscious of communicating it
0: over the line, don't you? And this really kind of brings us to this overall practice of continuous learning, iterative learning. And what we've seen, you know, the parallels between uh, Newton and Einstein are really powerful, but in actual fact, it's another big moonshots theme, which is this continuous and iterative learning. You're never done. There's always more refinement work. There's more adjacent practices to learn and to absorb and to discover. And I think, isn't that the beauty of working on something big, something that really matters is you're never done. There's always more, isn't there? Yeah,
1: you're never done. And this is something that even an individual from the 17th, 18th century might can teach us. So this next clip we've got is uh, a couple of very uh, modern day um, thinkers, Dr. Maggie Pocock and Thomas Venning, who are digging into one of the iterations of Sir Isaac Newton's Principia Mathematica, maybe version two. And I think this is a great demonstration into
2: the art, the practice and the benefits of always improving. This is a kind of dream manuscript for a scientific manuscript. Newton is one of the greatest scientists and this is Newton writing about his greatest work, the Principia. It's seven years after he wrote the Principia. He's thinking about doing a second edition, and he realises there are corrections he needs to make, there are sections he needs to expand on. This second edition that he was thinking about at this time never saw the light of day, and this manuscript was totally unknown. So it, it slept in obscurity for 300 years, and then suddenly... Here it is, we can show it to the world. Yes.
4: And it's quite dynamic, there's sort of lots of crossing outs and additional words. It's like sort of travelling through time, you can almost hear the pen scratching over the surface and get that feeling of his thoughts sort of being projected onto the page.
2: Exactly, and that's what I love about a manuscript like this, because you've got one of the great minds of history thinking things through in front of our eyes. It sort of feels almost like hallowed ground. What Newton did with Principia
4: has set the way we do science today. He was coming up with ways of understanding it mathematically, but he was also making telescopes so he could get the data and verify his mathematics. That is effectively the scientific method, and he was doing both sides.
2: This is an amazing object, but where did it come from? Well, we know it started out with David Gregory, this young Scottish scientist. David Gregory was one of the earliest people to understand just how important the Principia was. He started making notes on it in the months after it was published. He was able to start corresponding with Newton and say, what about this? You know, I don't understand this section. Is there a typo here? Is there something you need to explain there? This particular manuscript comes out of a six day visit of Gregory's to Newton in Cambridge in 1694. So it's very nice because you can place it exactly time and place. Down here, these are the bits in David Gregory's handwriting. And I think David Gregory has drawn these diagrams. You can just get this little glimpse of the two of them in a chamber together at Trinity College, working away, completely gripped by the fascination of this whole new understanding of the universe the
4: principia was such a step forward so groundbreaking to have additional
2: notes on it by the author just seems uh, yes a a gem paper is so fragile you know it doesn't take much for it to be destroyed even being able to follow the trail of paper down the years um is very very difficult it's not like a great painting when everybody knows where it's been and so they're like kind of fragile boats and sailing down the stream of history suddenly there it is in front of us and it it survived all this time i just love that i find it so inspiring how does the work of Newton, how does the Principia um, have an effect on, on your own work? Yes.
4: So uh, the Principia is sort of the basis for effectively all we do. It's his theories that do allow us to travel in space to land probes on Mars. Uh, the telescopes that we use are now mirror-based, which he came up with.
0: Wow, you can really, as they were talking, you really get this visualization of two guys collaborating on some of the most important stuff in history. I know. But yeah. what's so great is we can do that as well. Like we can create a document, mark it up, you know, uh, we can get into um, something, we can roll up our sleeves and really work on it together. And, um, this brings us to this um, iterative process um, called the scientific method, which is also the basis of Eric Ries's work in Lean Startup, which is really powerful because we're seeing basically Lean Startup in the late 1600s, aren't we, Mark? <laughs> Isn't that uh, a,
1: a, such a huge build uh, and, and reveal? You know, the same frameworks for thinking, the same frameworks for focus, you could say, as well as validation and verification are exactly the same, uh, that we are following now as we're building or refining our, our businesses back to how somebody like Sir Isaac Newton was answering questions on gravity, on optics and motion.
0: Mm. The the interesting thing here is, and we'll have a copy of this in the show notes on moonshots.io, is we'll show you what the complete scientific method looks like. But it basically goes from an observation of a, or a question where you go away and do some work on it, and then you draw up a thing called a hypothesis, which is, you know, something that you can go and test, you get some data, you kind of look at the data results And then you might ask a new question and Mm -hmm. then the loop continues again and again. And just like any good idea or business or product or service, the more times you go through this loop, the better it gets. And for me, one of the most powerful things that I introduced to my work is this idea of the hypothesis. So I've been absolutely in my career, a victim of wishful thinking. And that is really that the idea strikes me and I go, oh, geez, that sounds good. And then I just go off and do it. Mm. Whereas Mm. the scientific method's like, whoa, 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 Mike, hold your horses. Let's draw up a hypothesis. Let's go test that objectively. Let's see if that um, actually bears out or whether there's a nuance or whether, whether I'm just totally incorrect. And you do that through the data. And then you draw up new questions, go through that enough. And it's really powerful, but I love to start my work, particularly when I'm working with clients is to say, okay, let's actually write up the hypothesis. And my, my experience has been when you use the scientific method or lean startup, uh, you know, some fast forward 400 years and it's lean startup, <laughs> but It is amazing to me how much clarity comes even by just getting everyone to agree on what is our hypothesis. Mm. And invariably, you'll find that we weren't actually all on the same page. Well, I I think one of the biggest
1: drawbacks with uh, being forced to work remotely for for so long was probably that, Mike, wouldn't you say? The idea that teams work, gradually falling out of sync and they were getting into less scientific feedback methods uh as well as reviewing of work methods and i'm referring of course to working remotely for me at least i think it did start to slow down and and the idea of focus and knowing that we we were all on the same page becomes more difficult unless you put in the practices like we were just saying, with a continual loop of questioning, of noticing, of having a hypothesis, and and analyzing the results in order to feedback version 2 or 1.5. And this is, I think, such a key takeaway in how you stay on the same page with others. That alignment piece is so substantial. Even though Sir Isaac Newton would have been working solo, as maybe a lot of us do with our own businesses and entrepreneurs, the truth is still having the ability to go back to an individual, a colleague, partner, a friend, or a colleague, and being able to question it and get feedback and then go out and test it with maybe some, some users. Maybe those users are just your partner mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. your colleague. The point is you can go out and exactly as you've just said, Mike, question your assumption and validate that that is in case, and in fact, the truth, because I'm a bit like you, Mike, I'm a little bit biased to my own thoughts. And sometimes I'll be thinking, no, I I know I'm right. So this is the recommendation, but you've really got to pause and and go back and question, okay, am I, am I going about this the right way? Have I checked the data? Have I looked at how customers are interacting with my product or my marketing in order to make amends and maybe improve it.
0: Yeah. So, so like a really basic example of a lean hypothesis or a hypothesis in general. Um, And then let's get into it a bit, Mark. Like Mm -hmm. let's actually really kind of go to the heart of the scientific method. So let's assume a little bit that you've been going out into the world, you've researched a topic, what's a hypothesis? So an example would be, and I'll stay away from business for a moment, Students who eat breakfast will perform better on a math exam than students who do not eat breakfast. That's that's a hypothesis and you can mm. test that. You can test the students bit, you can t- test the eat breakfast bit and then you have a look at the exam results and you do an A-B comparison. Now what's really good about that is when you frame them in a very testable way, you can kind of deconstruct them and and like, you know, get the elements um, really, really kind of independent and you, you might find that it's not math, but it's English. You might find it's a, a particular type of student. That's all, the, all of the, the goodies that come to us when we, you know, um, are um, doing this scientific method. Now let's fast forward 400 years from the big questions of Newton um, and and Halley, you might have a lean hypothesis specifically around a product or a service and what you would tend to do there is you say, hey, um, students, young students, maybe math students need uh, to perform as best as possible in their math exams. Currently, they... Uh, cram really late, get poor sleep, and they skip breakfast. We propose to provide a service that makes getting breakfast on the go really easy so students can perform better in their exams. We'll measure success by the ability to, one, get positive uh, feedback from the uh, meal and the nutrition, to get better results in the math exam, and overall better student success as measured in an eight hour or in a particular type of uh, metric. That is a lean hypothesis. So you could pull all of that apart and you could pre-test. This is where we take the thinking of Newton and put a little bit of Eric Ries lean startup, modern scientific method on it, is you can pre-test all of these things before actually building the product, service, or company to do so. And this helps us go from guessing to knowing. And this is exactly what Newton was doing 400 years ago. He would go away and calculate the models. If the data didn't exist, he would use his telescope to create the data, to measure the data so he could run his experiments and his hypothesis. I think the most crazy thing that we're experiencing right now, Mark, is that what Newton was doing 400 years ago, the best entrepreneurs, the best thinkers do today. It's the scientific method. It is testing your ideas before putting them in stone. It's testing your entrepreneurial ideas before launching your business. How cool is that?
1: What a slam dunk from Sir Isaac Newton. I mean, this is why he belongs in the Moonshots library, Mike, because He is transcending, you know, three, 400 years into the realm of the same mindset and behaviors that these individuals that you and I learn out loud from Mm. every week. Mm. You know, he's still demonstrating those behaviors, those patterns, that compound interest of preparation. But most importantly, this idea of validation is such a huge takeaway. And I don't think it's necessarily something I really understood about Isaac's uh, method until the opportunity of digging into it.
0: I'm, I'm already like, oh, wow, I didn't quite realize how many things he contributed uh, to our our world and of modern science, but also how great is this that he used this evidence-based approach which we can all use too. So in the spirit of this, Mark, I've got a hypothesis that I think you myself, and all of our members and listeners contest. Are you ready? I'm ready. If a person goes into Spotify and becomes a subscriber to the Moonshots Master Series, they will receive lunar-powered good karma. What do you think? I mean, uh, the question is, Mike,
1: whether you're able to validate this
0: <laughs> oh, now how might you do
1: that, Mark? What do you think? Well, I suppose the the first question really is actually to go out and, and gather the data first, Mike. You've That's got right. this hypothesis, so let's hold our horses and let's encourage uh, us to dig out our telescopes and look up into the stars and find that data. So, for all of our listeners, if you're thinking, "What are Mike and Mark talking about here? What is this master series?" Well, I encourage you to open up Spotify. Type into the search bar Moonshots Master Series and you'll be able to see trailers as well as a link to become a paid subscriber for the Moonshots Master Series, where we dig in once a month into uh, very uh, entrepreneurial uh, growth areas and themes and concepts, Mike, including happiness, including managing people, leadership skills, personal development skills that help us become that best version of ourselves. And it really is as simple as opening up Spotify, typing in just a couple of words and subscribing via the URL in the about section. And Mike, this will help you and I gather that important data to validate your hypothesis.
0: Absolutely. And look, while you're there, you can give us a thumbs up, a rating, or if you're an Apple podcast, go and give us a review, or if you're on Stitcher or one of the millions of other podcasting platforms. So jump into your Spotify or head over to moonshots.io. There is a world of moonshots awaiting you. Test the hypothesis that there is lunar powered good karma out there in the world for you and get your hands on that master series. Well, Mark, we are ripping through the universe of Sir Isaac Newton. We are on a galactical, intergalactical, uh, universal uh, trip, adventure, and we are not done yet. I feel like we've built this big platform of how you use the scientific method, how you work, review, iterate, build upon. And what's really cool is that even though Isaac Newton was famously not great with people, he was collaborating with Haley. He was collaborating with David Gregory. But now we could kind of turn to another thing that we have learned, not only from him and Einstein, can't we? We can kind of go to the second big aha that we can take from the world of Sir Isaac Newton. That's right. We've got a
1: great, uh, just like we were breaking down these uh, examples and trying to put it into a bit of practice, Mike, putting on our Sir Isaac Newton uh, wigs and trying to imagine ourselves uh, living a life a little bit like Newton. We've actually got a great clip from It Is Sharuk, who did exactly this, Mike. He spent a day living the routine of Sir Isaac Newton to specifically learn about deadlines and accountability. So let's hear from it is Sharuk talk to us about targets
5: and deadlines. This challenge completely beat out my expectations. It goes to show that whatever perceived ideas you had about your plans, half the times they're not realistic enough. And if you wanna get a realistic idea, the only way you can do that is by actually testing it out by doing it. Now, I'm not sure if Sir Isaac Newton's work ethic followed the same kind of deadline and accountability. There's frankly not much known about his work ethic except for the hours he worked and how he worked. But he consistently worked 18 hours a day and clearly accomplished a lot. And that's kinda cool that I did that for one day. I'm not sure how close I am to Sir Isaac Newton and his routine, but I really wanted to use deadlines to see as a measure of how much I can accomplish within a given day, especially a particular 18-hour time frame. Now despite being behind the deadline, I'm pretty freaking pleased that I was able to pull off two complete polished edits all in one day. Now, From this experiment, I've learned that deadlines in combination with accountability does wonders. It kicks your procrastination in the butt when you know that you have a deadline which is real and when it has consequences. It works like a charm. Secondly, because of deadlines and accountability, all my fears about not being able to focus, wanting to rest, seek pleasure, all those didn't bother me at all. Thirdly, I realized that you can never know how realistic your plan is until if you actually test it out by doing it and see how much time it actually takes to do something. Also the fourth realization is that it's safe you say you can pull off 18 hours of work as long as there's a deadline attached. For somebody like me who has barely ever pulled off an all-nighter, I was actually pretty happy and pretty proud that I was able to do that. But if you don't believe me, ask the college students who pull off all-nighters all the time. They will tell you that working 18 hours a day Sometimes is not a big deal. doing it consistently is however another challenge
0: mm. so bit of background here um during lockdown on uh which lock do you remember which lockdown it was mark historically was it the which was it a plague was it the black plague that actually made him housebound for several years
1: so so Isaac Newton was housebound for the great plague mine. yeah so not only did he accomplish all these incredible achievements he also just had to live through this tiny little thing called the great
0: Plague that hit Europe. (laughs) Which, which uh, just to put things in perspective, um, with our recent, uh, COVID d'Eliance, uh, I, I believe historically it was like one third of the world's population died. So pretty epic. My point here though, is he was able to turn, you know, that quarantine into something. He was there for two or three years, um, This is where he famously had the apple drop uh, moment that we all know about. But isn't it interesting, you know, there are definitely, you know, our advisory here is that it is not a sustainable way of working, you know, 18 hours a day like uh, Newton famously did for a lot of his career and it has all sorts of health side effects. But when the time comes to go deep and do the work, it is more than possible and there are times I experience all the time, Mark, where I just need to unleash. Like, yes, I can consistently chip away at something, but I feel like there are moments where, in fact, I will uh, do, do, and have to do an eighteen-hour day to to really break the back of a big piece of work, an assignment, and it's not just because it's due. But I also feel like it's because I am ready to kind of break it apart. Like, it's like if I stop the switching costs and then ramping back up again, I just don't want to lose the momentum. And so I think here, what we are seeing is this idea of focus and deep work, but sometimes being prepared to go above and beyond in service to your work. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge lesson to take from, from Newton. What do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, I, I like where you're going with the reference to um, Flow with Mihai Cheek uh, Sent Mihai, mm. where I think you're, you're, we're hearing from Isaac uh, uh, with regards to the time he spent, let's call it in isolation to use the, the modern term of reference, spent in isolation during the years of the great plague, which even Isaac said was some of the most fruitful discoveries he ever had because he was able to be, um, I suppose, absent from others and do that deep work. And I think it's exactly like you were just saying, getting into a flow set of mind and being able to work on something diligently, maybe without distractions as we're all experiencing day to day and being able to get into that deep work of cal Newport and getting the work done is 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 exactly what we're hearing from this little case study from Ilyas Sharuk. he's challenging himself to work diligently for a set period of time he's diving in he's giving it a go and that certainly benefited newton you know newton's a great a great case study here for that uh, achievements that come from being focused from stepping away from distractions, maybe even uh, being diligent with your own time and setting those deadlines, Mm. giving yourself a target to work through and towards so that you don't, you know, fall into that. I don't know about you, Mike, but I sometimes fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I I really need to start this thing. Maybe today isn't the right day. Maybe I'll do it (laughs) tomorrow. And the truth is any day would probably work if I set the right boundaries around my distractions yes. around my uh, day of, of time, allocation of time, how long I'm going to give myself to do it because you can, and I think that's what we're hearing here, almost encourage or direct your focus towards achieving some kind of uh, objective or vision. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, it comes from getting yourself, at least for me, into a, a set where, uh, a, a set moment where I'm either at my desk, maybe um, I'm standing. So that's going to help me keep focused. I've I've closed the blinds. I've turned on all of the do not disturb modes. Uh, The dog's been walked. I've got a cup of hot water, whatever it is. Then I can get into that frame of mind. Yeah. And that flow state is just so valuable, isn't it?
0: So let's, let's build on that in two ways. Like for me, I think there's like your daily habit routine, that gives you a fighting chance. And then there's those moments where you go above and beyond. As far as daily routine, the one thing you can do to give yourself a fighting chance of, you know, really producing, I think starts with getting up early. Mm. If there was anything that helps getting up early, it's getting to bed early. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I think I was very much victim of, you know, staying up late, another episode on Netflix, Um, and that catches up with you because apart from not being able to wake up early, you're always, um, if you track your sleep with any sort of biometrics, you'll uh, become painfully aware of how early, in fact, you do need to get to bed. Like, you know, technically, let's just assume that we're all, somewhere on the the average of needing eight hours sleep. If you want to be up at six, you need to get into bed and be, wait for this, to be asleep at 10. So Mm. therefore, knowing myself a little bit, I kind of need to be in bed by 9.30, quarter to 10. If I want to be in bed asleep at 10 so I can wake at six, that's just the, the the kind of painful reality of how scarce time really is, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly.
1: I mean, it's for me, my time of uh, best focus. Well, I, I I can't remember the the name for it, Mike. Circadian rhythm is yeah. when you're going to sleep, isn't it?
0: No, no, no. Circadian rhythm is is broader still. It is knowing when you should sleep mm. naturally and wake naturally and feel at your best. It's not just your bedtime, but the broader mm. thing. But you're right there. Yeah, and for me, I think when I do
1: get into a great pattern for sleeping, I do feel incredibly more focused for the days after, oh. because there's no deficit. Yes. You know, uh, remember the days of having to do lots of international travel and so on. I, I do believe that my productivity and focus would have gone down from a lack of sleep because my body is always in that sort of deficit mode. And I think that can be helpful because it can drive, as we've learned in, in previous shows, it can drive more of a, of a flow mindset if you are in a bit of a a deficit from either food or, or otherwise. But for me, yeah, with regards to sleep, it's all about getting up early because then I can, you know, wake up naturally. Mm -hmm. I'm not forced into emails as soon as I wake up. If I'm waking up early and by early, I'm saying, you know, there are days Mike during the week where I'll, I'll wake up at five, maybe to, not necessarily copy Robin Sharma with the 5am club, but (laughs) in order to try and maximize that day, it's quite rare. I'm going to be honest with you. But when I do have to force myself up at that time, it's pretty liberating. It is quite an exciting and energetic time of the day, actually. And by the time, you know, eight or nine rolls in, you think, oh, I've accomplished so much.
0: (laughs) The the interesting thing there is like those those mornings where it's still dark and everyone else is asleep, but you're up, mm. they ju- you just feel like you're ahead of the game. <laughs> you do, you? don't you? I mean, you just got like this big head start. So let's just uh, bring it home by talking a little bit about those moments where you have to go deep and maybe uh, go above and beyond even. I think that if you have practiced the first thing, which is a great sleeping pattern up early in the morning, I think the next thing you can do is you can target those moments where you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to go big on getting this huge piece of work done. And, you know, one of the things you can do is you can say to friends and family, Hey, you know, I'm going to work till 10 at night on this night. So I'm going to try and get in an extra four hours into my work day or five hours into my work day. Um, you know, often, you know, those you know, all nighters are thrust upon us because it's the night before, but it totally changes the game when you determine it. When you're like, no, no, I want to have this finished in a couple of weeks. So mm. this week, on Thursday, I'm going to work up until ten. Then I'll get through Friday, and uh, if I've bit short on sleep, I can catch up over the weekend. That is you taking control of your mm. circumstances, rather than getting to the day before everything's doing game. I think I'm going to have to work through the whole night, which I have done many a time. And so I'm by no means, Mike, saying I'm perfect here. But I think you change the game when you deploy your resources at your will rather than circumstances kind of forcing you to, right?
1: Yeah, I, I do agree with that for sure. If, if, I'm, if I'm making the conscious decision and taking ownership And I feel empowered with that decision. Hey, it's really good that I'm doing this work Mm. and that's okay. I've come to terms with it. I'm pleased. Mm. My work ethic, as well as the output will be far greater than if I'm thinking, oh, I really don't want to have to do it. And it really, it's just mindset, isn't Mm. it?
0: There are some times where I dedicate a few hours on the weekend just to get that work done because maybe I don't want to do, I don't want to break the sleep routine Mm. during the work week. So I will get ahead of things, um, you know, on the weekend, those little tactical catch-ups or get in fronts, um, work really well. Okay, Mark. So I think let's just pause here. We kind of have grabbed this idea of huge sessions of deep work, a huge theme in not only Newton, but Einstein as well. And putting on top of that, how they thought, and in particular what Newton's saying is the scientific method, questions, hypothesis, tested with real data, reflection, go again and again. And that's why in the matter of, wait for it, three short months he produced 11 pages that defined physics and modern science. That's all there for the taking. And Newton did this with a similar pattern to a guy called Einstein, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. I think there's such uh, a, a wealth
1: of information and habits we can learn from both of these uh incredibly classic and important thinkers and the truth is mike we found a bit of a slam dunk on this outro clip from none other than mr neil degrasse tyson again who quite handily for you and i as well as our listeners and members is about to help us compare einstein versus newton
3: isaac newton my man okay
5: (laughs) no you're a fan just to be
3: clear (laughs) he's my man because he like discovered the laws of Optics and the laws of motion and the laws of gravity and, like practically on a dare, he invents integral and differential calculus. (laughs) Then he turned twenty-six. Okay, (laughs) so are are we done here with that? Are we? Do I have agreement here? All right. So he comes up with his laws of motion and laws of gravity, and they apply to everything he had ever seen or measured. Although the fastest anyone had ever moved might have been a galloping horse in his day. But it explained the moon going around the Earth and the Earth going around the Sun. And it would later explain Jupiter's moons going around Jupiter. So it wasn't just a law of things that went around the Sun. It appeared to be kind of universal in the literal use of that term, as opposed to how that word is used so often in our culture, Miss Universe. She's Miss Earth, please. All right? Okay? <laughs> so... Uh so, so what we later learn as our methods and tools become more and more precise. I have to slip something in. Can I slip something? Okay, so watch what happens. Um so we apply Newton's laws and uh we apply them to uh oh, William Herschel discovers planet Uranus by accident. Okay, Uranus is the planet just beyond Saturn. Uh, so by accident and this is after Newton's laws of gravity are published so now we're tracking the orbit of Uranus you know this is not following Newton's laws it's got some deviation so maybe we found the limits the distance limit over which Newton's laws would apply that'd be interesting But other people said Newton was so badass, it must work, okay, even there. So instead of suggesting that his law was failing, clever people said maybe his law applies. But there's yet another planet out there that we've yet to discover whose gravity is tugging on it, and we did not include that in our calculations. So let's do the math and ask, where must there be a planet of what mass to create the deviation that we measure? And those calculations were done and they were published and an observatory um, in Germany got hold of those calculations. And they looked in the exact spot of the sky that the calculation said Neptune was waiting to be discovered right there. It was a triumph of Newton's laws. And so... So this gives us confidence. We're not just pulling this out. We calculate this, and the observations show it. So now watch what happens. We have better and better measurements, and we find out Newton's law is failing. Mercury's orbit is not following what it should. That's the closest planet to the sun. Well, we've been down that path before. Just throw in another planet that we can't see, and that'll fix it. (laughs) So thus was introduced planet Vulcan. This would be a planet very close to the sun. So close it would be hard to see, it would be lost in the glare. And so there was the hunt for Vulcan. No one found it. But we knew it had to be there, because that's the same problem as the discovery of Neptune. Einstein comes along, comes up with his theory of motion and his theory of gravity, the special and general theory of relativity. Out of those two theories, which are corrections to Newton's laws in these extreme regimes. If you're near the sun, the sun has very strong gravity. If you're moving around in that strong force of gravity, Newton's laws begin to fail, and no one knew this. And you look at Einstein's laws, and he says, Mercury's orbit will not follow Newton's laws, it'll follow this other path. Find out. And it exactly explained the deviations of Mercury. And so people say, oh, see, scientists, we thought this was right, and now we all huddle around this thing that's right. No, that is not how it works since since 1600 onward. The way it works is if you have an experimentally determined result, and it's verified and double-checked and and triple-checked, that will not later be shown to be false. What you can find is a deeper understanding of the world that encloses that understanding and that's what happened with Einstein. Einstein's theories of motion and gravity, if you put in low speeds and low gravity in the equations, they become Newton's equations. So Newton's universe is a subset, an accurately described subset, of a larger universe that Einstein has described. And even with Einstein, his equations can't take us to the center of a black hole the singularity that's there, the singularity at the beginning of the universe. We know now that his theories fail. They blow up on the page. So we have a whole frontier of science. The string theorists, you've heard of them. The string theorists, they're, we got top people working on this to try to extend Einstein's laws into an even bigger regime that can then explain everything that's in our universe, not most things.
0: How cool is that to, to think that Einstein could come along and build upon what Newton had done, both who kind of had that scientific method Um, some 200 years later. I think that is so exciting to hear two of our favorite moonshots classics and how their work could spend 400 years Mm. and come together and to further how we see science, physics, gravity, I mean, that one's a bit of a brain melter, isn't it, Matt?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, the reason why I really like that clip, apart from educating me a little bit on the scientific method as well as some of the discoveries we have around Vulcan, which is a hype, uh, hypo uh, uh, hy- theorized planet, which I, I didn't know about either. I think the key lessons that I'm, I'm appreciating from that clip is that fact of Einstein coming along much, much later appear. He was probably influenced perhaps, inspired by the work of uh, Isaac Newton. And we can understand that these scientists share knowledge. They repeatedly can get better and build upon their own knowledge and skills through working together, looking at the work of others. And this idea of community improvement I think is what I'm really hearing from that. It's that verification and validation, perhaps done by your peers, Mm. by a colleague, by somebody else, and that's what's improving the work. And I love this idea that we all have the ability to improve on the work that others have if we're equally open to receiving feedback Mm. and being helped along the way. I think that's the the key lesson for me here. It's not that necessarily obviously isaac newton did all the work himself he he went out he had that break and uh, in, in the great plague and was able to find focus but what's interesting for me is these items these ideas these concepts are never finished they continually continually build mm. and the interest again compounds as each new thinker new way of work new scientific ideas they can build upon them and validate and verify them continually and i love this idea of constantly evolving knowledge
0: yeah it's it's somewhat ironic that even newton who was famously antisocial did share his work yes, exactly. with with halley and others but also by codifying that work writing it down it gave einstein something to build upon and you know look at the look at the outcome it's it's really really amazing you know it's so funny to think that we can go back and study someone from 400 years ago and, and discover all these things. What's the, what's the one thing that stood out for you, Matt?
1: Oh, it's a good question, Mike. I think for me, it really comes down to the uh, hacks and the habits of forcing yourself into a moment of trying to get the work done. Mm-hmm. So I love the little clip that we heard with uh, somebody living a life of Isaac Newton for 18 hours a day, I think this idea of focus, of preparation, um, as well as just application of hard work in order to try and strive towards your your goal really aligns with what I've been learning recently on the Moonshot show. Well, What about you? What's the key lesson or takeaway that you're uh, inputting into your brain post Isaac Newton?
0: Well, you know, he wrote the Uh, Principia Mathematica and sort of blew everyone's brains (laughs) with this work. (laughs) But what was really cool was to listen to those two historian and scientific types, Maggie and Thomas, who actually had version 2.0 of that document. The fact that he was working on a next iteration, like he wasn't satisfied He was like, no, no, I got another version coming. I think we should all be writing our own manuscripts. I think it's such a great way to capture thinking and it's never done. Continue to revise, to edit, refine, to iterate. It's this idea of continuously working on something. I love it.
1: Fantastic.
0: Amazing, as you've already said, that we
1: can still learn from these thinkers over 400 years later. I mean, Mike, the Moonshot show will just keep on going indefinitely, won't it?
0: Yeah, we'll it goes further back <laughs> in time. <laughs> it makes me think all right, we're going to have to build a long list of future episodes to get 400 <laughs> years out. Mark, awesome. Thank you so much for, for stepping back in the time machine and ironically bringing us right back to today. And thank you to you, our listeners and our members too. It has been wonderful to share this journey into episode 199 with the work and the thinking and the habits of Sir Isaac Newton. So where did this begin? Well, it really did begin with uh, my man, as Neil deGrasse Tyson would say, Mr. Sir Isaac Newton and his epic work of the, the Principia Mathematica, to which... He didn't just guess the answer. He went away for three months and he came back with 11, day, 11 pages which defined not only modern physics but science itself. And he's always improving because he had version 2 on the way as well. And how did he do all this? Deadlines and accountability. He got things done. He locked the door. He got rid of distractions and he worked. And by sharing that work with the world, he not only transformed and really Brought magic uh, to the 1700s. He laid the foundation for Einstein to do his work, to take his uh, Newtonian physics one step further. So there you have it. It is about collaboration, hard work and focus, and to share your work. So whilst we have definitely been in the historical time machine, we have learned things that we can do today. We are learning out loud together. We are becoming the best versions of ourselves. And that's what we are all about here in the
3: time machine the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.